when I was an associate pastor in Hutchinson, Kansas. Somewhere in my first months of ministry, the senior pastor stood up and gave a welcome to the congregation, and he said, God is good. And the congregation together responded, all the time. And then I looked around, bewildered. What's happening, I thought. Then the senior pastor said, all the time. And the congregation responded, God is good. Good job. I, that morning, I sat over on my little pew right next to the lectern, just where Teresa is, and I thought, what did I miss? <laughs> Somehow, I had attended United Methodist churches for 25 years, participated in United Methodist campus ministry all through college, went to a United Methodist seminary, and I had never heard that call and response in my whole life. How is that possible? I don't even know. God is good all the time, all the time, God is good. I still have no idea where it comes from. Google could not help me figure it out. It just seems to be a thing that a lot of church people know. Many of you know it. God is good all the time, all the time, God is good. Which is true and beautifully simple. God is good. The scriptures attest that to us over and over and over again, a fundamental belief that we are created by, we are saved by, and we are supported every day by a God who is good. Deep in God's being lies goodness. It's an essential part of who God is, meaning God can be nothing other than good. And as we have said in this whole series on the attributes of God, what God is one day, God is the next. God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. So if we say today that God is good, we mean God is good always and forever. Just like God is holy, and God is just, and God is merciful, and God is loving, God is good. Which is something that's really easy to affirm when things go our way. Score the game-winning touchdown and get interviewed on TV. I just want to start out by giving praise to God who is so good to me, someone might say. Or randomly decide to buy a lottery ticket and wind up with 5000 extra dollars. God is so good, we might say. Narrowly miss being in a car accident because we forgot our cell phone at home and we turn around to get it, making us five minutes later driving down the road we drive every day. God is good. But are those really statements of faith? Is that what the goodness of God is really all about? Helping us win football games or find extra money or avoid car crashes? Feels like there's a joke here for me, me to make about Nebraska football and winning football games, but I don't know what it is. Is that really what the goodness of God is about? Maybe not. Maybe that's not the most robust of Christian thinking. Because it's easy to affirm that God is good when things go our way, but what about when things don't go our way? What about when life is hard or painful or just unexpectedly different than we had hoped? What does it mean then to say that God is good? The sort of classical way to frame this problem is to say, if God is good and God is powerful, why do bad things happen in the world? Or if God is good, why does evil exist? Now this is such an important theological question that it has its own name. It's called the question of theodicy. 
If God is good and God is powerful, why doesn't God just stop all the evil and hard things, all the painful things from happening in the world? Why doesn't God just stop all the painful things from happening to me? Or as a church member once asked me when she had come into my office, she was still struggling with deep grief after losing her 23-year-old son in a freak accident. She said, Amy, I prayed every day of his life for God to protect him. Why didn't God answer my prayers? Now that's the kind of question that plenty of us have had reason to ask. And when we're in the midst of gut-wrenching grief, the kind of grief that turns life upside down, it can be hard to affirm God is good all the time, and all the time God is good. The answer I gave the church member in my office, that was an answer of pastoral care. When we're in the depths of deep grief, we don't need a theological discussion. So I didn't say, let's look at this problem of theodicy. No. When we've lost something precious like a child, there's a, there's a way in which it will never make sense. And I would never try to explain it in a way that all questions would disappear. Some things we're just going to have to wait until we get to see Jesus face to face to ask. But if we're not in a moment of deep personal grief, this question about theodicy is an interesting one and is an important one. And we can say that bad things happen why bad things happen, we can say, in summary, that it's because God gave us free will. The Bible says that God created us. Even in the image of God, God created us. Our lives are a precious and beautiful gift from God who loves us. And when God created us, just like when God created everything else in the world, Genesis chapter 1 says, God called the creation good. God called us good. God created us to be good to do good, good, just like God's own self is good. But the Bible says God did not create us as robots. God did not create us as these little machines who only do exactly what God wants us to do. God created us with minds and hearts that are independent. We have our own thoughts and feelings and impulses and desires and choices. God didn't make us automatons who will only do exactly what God desires. Because if God had done that... If we were only capable of doing what was good and doing what is right, if we were only capable of doing what God desires, what would it even mean for us to love God? What would it mean for us to trust God? What would it mean for us to have a relationship to God? I say it wouldn't mean much. Think about the people in your life, especially the people who love you, your spouse, your closest friends. Don't you ever marvel at the fact that they choose over and over again to love you? I mean, you're wonderful, but still, they choose every day to love you. And isn't there power in that choice? There's power in that choice to love and be in relationship. And God wanted us to have that same power that we would love God willingly by our choice, which means we have to be given the choice to not love God to not choose holiness, to not do as God would desire. And that's how evil enters the world. It's not that God wants bad things to happen, but God chooses not to stop them because if God stopped all the evil things in the world, God would be over-controlling every little aspect of our lives and the lives of everyone on the planet. Now, some of you may have some story in your life where you felt like God really stepped in to prevent something terrible from happening some sort of miracle that happened to you. 
And I'm not going to talk you out of that story. Maybe God does that. Maybe sometimes God does step in to prevent something really terrible from happening. I don't know. I only know that often God doesn't choose to do that. But that does not mean God is not good. It just means that God has chosen to not protect us every moment of the day. And you who are parents, you make that same choice over and over again, don't you? You may want to protect your children, even when they're all grown up and moved away. You want to protect them, but you can't protect them from all things. Or you could, but it would mean putting them in bubble wrap and hiding them in their room forever. Just because God doesn't protect us from every harm, every injustice, every trouble, it doesn't mean God has abandoned us. In fact, the opposite. God and God's goodness promises to be with us always and forever. God promises to be with us, helping us, guiding us, sending comfort and encouragement, even when trouble strikes. And that's what our psalm for today is celebrating. This Psalm 34, it's a Thanksgiving psalm. And the author is recounting the mighty acts of God, how God was with him in trouble, how God rescued him from affliction. It's a really cool bit of poetry, actually. I don't read Hebrew, but I know this about this particular psalm, that it's an acrostic poem. Do you remember making those in elementary school, like out of your name, where you had to write a line with every, that started with the letter of every letter of your name? So in the original Hebrew, this psalm, each line starts with a successive letter of the Hebrew alphabet. It goes from Aleph to Tav. In English, we would say it goes from A to Z. It's a subtle way for the author to reinforce the point that God is present from beginning to end, that God's presence goes from start to finish. It covers everything. God is with us in affliction. God hears our cries and responds to our needs. Now, God's goodness doesn't always respond to our needs in the way that we would want. Sometimes, God offers us goodness and help in a way different than what we ask for, right? Like if I have a difficult conversation I don't want to have, instead of helping me avoid the conversation, it might be that God wants to give me the courage and the words to use when I need to go have that conversation. Sometimes God saves us from trouble by helping us do what we're afraid to do or by sending compassionate friends who can help us. Now, affirming God's goodness, reaffirming God's goodness, it makes a real difference in our lives. This is not just a theological exercise. I know that was a lot of theology I just gave you, but affirming the goodness of God reminds us that God is not capricious, God is not mean, God is not toying with us, God is not testing us, God is good. Meaning that everything that God does is for our good and for the good of the world. But affirming God's goodness is also a lesson for us about ourselves and about the people around us. A moment ago, I reminded us that Genesis 1 says we are made in the image of God. That when God made people, just like when God made the whole world, God declared us good. God declared us good. Now this can sometimes be hard to remember. That people fundamentally at their core are good. That's the way God made us, to be good. It can be hard to remember that because the world gives us daily reminders of how we turn away from that goodness, how we choose something other than goodness. But that doesn't mean that our baseline, our core, is not still good. uh, I think about this. A a few years ago, I had gone to visit some church members who had been unable to come uh, to worship for a few weeks. They were in their mid-80s, and they were experiencing some health problems. 
So I come to the door and they invited me into the living room. I looked around the living room and realized it had last been redecorated in the 1990s. But everything was perfectly tidy. The furniture was out of style but not worn. Each knickknack, each picture frame exactly in its place. I sat down on the sofa and this was a sofa, not a couch, because this was not the room where they watched TV every night. This was where they received their company, right? So we talked about their health, we talked about the weather, we talked about KU basketball, all the really important stuff. <laughs> and then the phone rang, and the wife got up to answer it. And we could overhear her side of the conversation. It sounded like a grandchild had called to say hello, unexpectedly. Except there was something kind of off. She sounded a little uncertain about something. The caller had said to her, hi, Grandma, and made some small talk and then asked to talk, to talk to Grandpa, but something didn't feel just quite right. The voice didn't sound quite right. So my church member asked the caller to tell her his name, including his middle name, and immediately the caller hung up. It was a scam call. No doubt they were hoping to scam the couple out of some money. And I sat there just shocked. How can people be so cruel and nasty to call up older people and pretend to be their grandchildren to swindle them out of money? At the same time, I was really impressed with my church member who had the presence of mind to defeat the scammer so quickly. Now, if stuff like that happens to us often enough, it can be easy to start to believe that the world around us is full of terrible people, people who are bad at heart. It can be easy to think that people have very little good in them and that we need to be suspicious and we need to be skeptical of everyone. But a stance like that denies what scripture tells us is the fundamental nature of human beings. Do we have the capacity to sin? Oh yes, every one of us has huge capacity to sin. Remember that conversation about free will from the beginning of the sermon. Our good nature can get so covered up by sin and evil that it feels nearly impossible to find, but it is there. It is always there. The way God made us to be a reflection of God's own self, holy, just, merciful, loving, and good that is inside each of us. And so if we believe in a good God, we will never stop looking for the good in others. We will never stop looking for the good in ourselves. We will never stop looking for the good in the world. One key line from the psalm I want to make sure you hear, and Barb uh, gave us a wonderful invitation to remember this line in the children's sermon as well. This is a line that's long been important to Christian people in Psalm 34. Verse 8 says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Happy are those who take refuge in him. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. For centuries, Christians have heard that as an echo of Jesus' invitation to come to the communion table. Come to the feast, we say, and taste the goodness of God. Taste this bread and this cup and let it tell you again of the unending love of God, the love that God has for you. Let it help, and help you see and help you know the power of a Savior who would give his own life to set the world right again. Let the bread and the juice linger on your tongue today as a reminder of the goodness of God that can and will eventually overcome all that is wrong with the world. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Amen.